Remarkable accomplishments are happening every day on the Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College campuses, from faculty instruction and research to student projects and community involvement. CMU Now is a new monthly segment on the KAFM Community Affairs Hour, where we interview faculty, athletic coaches, and students to keep you up to date on all things CMU and WCCC. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host, David Ludlam, and we'll have two guests on the show today. And our first guest is Dr. Melissa Connor, Professor of Forensic Anthropology, and director of the Forensic Investigation Research Station. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come down and chat with us and to the KAFM listeners. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. So why don't we kind of first start off with, I think, you know, maybe some of our listeners have heard before about the Forensic Investigation Research Station, also known as FERS, but some may not. So can you kind of talk through a little bit about what that facility is and the type of work that you and students do there? Our major work is to look at decomposition of human remains. I'll use the phrase body farm once. We're what's considered a body farm. We have a human donation program. We take in deceased individuals, place them outside, watch how they decay, and do scientific studies of that decay and the time interval to look at postmortem intervals since death. I named it the forensic investigation rather than taphonomy or forensic anthropology to try to broaden that to other fields of forensic science as well. So we work with biologists, we work with chemists, we work with entomologists, we work with criminal justice students. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that we are one of only nine in the world of one of these types of research facilities. Is that correct? As of today, I believe you're right. There Mm -hmm. is one planned in Virginia currently and one planned in Quebec that does not have uh, bodies on the ground yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Connor, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. I think you know that. Um, I love the way you just talked about sort of this interdisciplinary approach. I I admire the way that you kind of fearlessly uh, go after that, um, working across across the, the aisle, looking over the fence at other disciplines. And I also admire the way that you work with students. I can tell that you first and foremost care about about where they land and, and the future of the discipline. Um, one area where I've seen you uh, spent a lot of time uh, working interdisciplinary would be sort of externally with law enforcement. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your, your role in working with law enforcement, how your discipline interplays with, you know, public health, uh, maybe even how your discipline helps us understand history and culture and anthropology, those sorts of things? Ooh, those are big questions. Big questions, big questions. (laughs) Big questions. Let's start a little bit smaller in working with local law enforcement, coroner's offices. We have to be called in. We have to be requested. And the questions that they often have are, are they looking at skeletal elements that are human or not human? Can we assist in a search to help them 
find skeletal elements of a missing individual and help them within that determine if it's human, non-human? Can we sometimes help them excavate or disinter somebody that they've already found? Mm -hmm. So um, these are skills that I have had and brought to CMU. And basically, if somebody gets me to help them, they're going to get my students to help them too. And these guys, we train our our students quite well. We have a crime scene investigation course. Um, We have other courses. They're doing well at those, at casework. And before you go on to maybe the big questions, you just mentioned that uh, the students are always involved. Um, Is this kind of a unique opportunity for undergraduate students? I mean, how often do they get opportunities like this uh, at the undergraduate level to do the kind of work you do? I would say it's rare for undergraduates, perhaps not unique, one of a kind, but of the facilities, of the extant facilities, the ones that work solely with undergraduates, there's only about three of us right now. Wow. The Frost Facility in Michigan, um, Western Carolina, and then us. Mm -hmm. All the other facilities have very big graduate programs. Think University of Tennessee at Knoxville, which has one of the most active PhD programs. So if you're an undergraduate there, you're kind of pushing up against the master and PhD students to get some of this experience. It's amazing. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our first guest today is Dr. Connor, Professor of Forensic Anthropology and the Director of FERS. So kind of building off of that a little bit, you obviously work with quite a few outside agencies. Are there any cases that come to mind that you could talk about to show examples of, you know, what you and your students are able to do, whether you're working with, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, or local law enforcement? Are there specific cases that you could maybe talk to? Well, I think one that a lot of the public already knows about, and it's aside from the casework, was working with some of the victims of Sunset Mesa. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to assume that victims is the right word, although the case has not been to trial yet. Mm-hmm. But individuals had the uh, were told that it was possible that the cremains they got back were either not their loved one or, in fact, not cremains at all. Mm-hmm. So we worked with the social workers here. We worked with outside agencies, and we worked with the families to... Um, offered to test those cremains. Bill Hood in geology provided the chemistry expertise Mm -hmm. and the fancy machine, the XRF, for the chemical analysis. Our students did macroscopic analysis, in other words, visually looking at the material, identifying inclusions. And then we worked with our CMU social work program when we gave those cremains back to families Mm -hmm. so that we could talk to them Um, about the science. That's what my students did, and the social work students were there to suggest support mechanisms for some of the grief counseling issues. Well, Dr. Connor, maybe shifting gears into something that I think is is difficult, but something that all all human beings go through, and that is this idea of of death and dying. And I think in our culture, for reasons you'd know that I don't, uh, we often avoid that topic. Um, Maybe sometimes we, we joke about it, but it's a huge part of, of your day-to-day work environment, and you have to introduce students to the concept of death and dying in their daily work. And could you talk a little bit about how you introduce students to the concept and how you get them comfortable 
uh, being able to do it, what it is that you do to strengthen law enforcement in our community? Well, generally our students, my students are self-selected. Mm-hmm. They step forward, and that's a huge part because anybody who is really averse to the topic isn't going to step forward and say, I want to work with you using human cadavers. Okay. <laughs> so that self-selection is a huge initial That part. makes sense. And then we just, I mean, I've worked with human remains recovery since the early 1990s, so it's just part of what I do, and that's how I treat it with the students. It's just part of our day-to-day learning experience. Mm-hmm. If they've got questions, we answer them honestly as we can. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KFM Community Affairs, and our first guest today is Dr. Connor, Professor of Forensic Anthropology and the Director of FERS. Um, so the first facility that you manage, like you were saying earlier, is a fairly rare facility, especially for undergraduate students. Um, and I think that, you know, with your expertise and being a leader here in our community, um, we've heard that there might be rumors that you're holding a conference on campus um, for others who operate facilities similar to FERS. And so I was wondering if you could tell us how CMU was selected to host this conference, to have all of these individuals come to Grand Junction, and maybe the benefit that your students will receive from this type of conference. Well, we got together. We've always had an email group as directors. that I call it a support group. Mm-hmm. Mr. Ludlam is trying to call it a conference or <laughs> <laughs> support group conference. Yeah, I mean, there is a small group of us with a rather unusual job description. Mm-hmm. And so if I have um, questions or face a challenge I'm not sure how to handle, I can shoot off emails to these other folks. And we got together in Florida last year to see a new facility that's out in Tampa. Um And basically, how did we get selected? I missed that because I went out for coffee. And when I came back, we had been selected. (laughs) Okay. So that's how we got selected. But I think also because we're not in the eastern woodlands, we have one of the different decompositional trajectories than all the groups that are in Tennessee, um, Western Carolina, Florida. We're a totally different environment. And I think folks wanted to see that. Our students are going to get exposed to the directors of these schools that have graduate programs. They're going to see um, what's going on at these other facilities and what different decomposition trajectories there are. And because with our facility, it is unique being in an arid, dry, desert climate compared to these other facilities. Is that correct? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk Tampa, you're talking a little bit more humid. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, there's another facility that's relatively new up in uh, the UP in Michigan. They call it Frost. Mm-hmm. We're a little warmer. Different decompositional trajectory. Okay. So, Dr. Connor, going back to you know, so this concept of culture and community again, uh, we live in a relatively small community. Uh, so I assume that a large number of, of donors, I presume, they're, they're probably from the area. Um, how do you interface with the community when it comes to donors who really take what you're doing seriously when it comes to science and want to be a part of that, uh, but it's also a small community? And again, the, you know, the death and dying concept, and how does that all fit together? How do you interface with the community? Well, um, one, I appreciate the community support because, like you said, a good portion of our donations come locally. And when people ask me, does the local community support having an institution like FERS, it's like 
how else would we uh, be able to operate and do the work that operate, you're doing? Do this mm-hmm. in in response. What we try to do is be as respectful as we know how. And what I talk to the students about is just pretend each one of these treat each of our donations as if they were one of their family members. Mm-hmm. And if it was their family member that they were working with, okay. um, people seem to grasp that and it seems to resonate with folks. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we're kind of already getting to the end of our time with you today, but I know I did want to ask at least one more question. So we've talked a lot about the facility and the work that you and your students are doing there, but what do you do when you're not at FERS and when you're not in the classroom teaching students and you're not studying decomp- decomposition? You know, what else are you involved with in doing? I like to think I'm a fairly social person, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm golfing, mm-hmm. um, out having beers with people, That's trying great. all the hot springs, mm-hmm. doing traveling, eating a little way too much, <laughs> as anybody looking at me can tell. <laughs> That's definitely not true. <laughs> but, you know, I do have to, before you go, defend myself about calling uh, your gathering a conference when two or more are gathered in the name of a discipline. When you're in PR, it's called a conference. So I look forward to seeing and being a part of your conference and, and listening in. Thank you. Great. Well, we want to thank you so much again for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Connor. Thank you for having me. All right. And don't go anywhere. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with the head of the music department, Dr. Darren Kamstra. back to CMU Now, a monthly show where we talk about the remarkable things happening at Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College. We'd like to welcome our second guest today, Dr. Darren Kamstra, the head of the music department and director of jazz studies and percussion. Welcome to the show today. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah thanks, for ha- thanks for being here today. Dr. Kamstra, I, I was curious. I, I know you've been involved with the department for a, quite some time, but you've recently stepped into the role of department head. And, and for, for our listeners that may not be familiar with academia, what does it mean to lead a department? And then for you personally, uh, what plans do you have in terms of shaping the department, maybe going in a new direction or, or maintaining the status quo? You know, David, that's a great question, and, and I'm learning more every day about what my duties are. Uh, but, but an overview of it is um, – you know, directing the resources of the department financially and from a faculty perspective um, to produce an excellent product with the resources we have available. And directing, you know, one of, one of the favorite things that I've had in this position is the ability to see all the passion of the students 
and the faculty for teaching and performing and trying to figure out uh, the most effective ways to direct that passion so we have a great product for the entire department. That's great. And so our fall semester just kicked off not too long ago. It's crazy to me to think that we're already in September. Um, but I know that the music department does have a lot of events coming up this semester and next semester, um, including the faculty gala that's happening on September 18th. Um, we have our first guest artist recital happening on September 25th. So I was hoping you could maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect as far as events for this upcoming semester. And um, I'm really interested in the guest artist series, you know, how you choose who to bring in, where they're coming from, because um, I just think that's a really um, amazing part of what the music department is doing is bringing in these guest artists to perform at CMU. Yeah, the uh, faculty gala, that's always a, a great way to get the year started and feature mm-hmm. uh, all of our faculty performing um, from voice to uh, piano to jazz. Um, you'll get a flavor of uh, the full range of talents in the music department. Um, guest artists uh, are requested by faculty, and oftentimes they tie into events uh, that outreach into the community. Um, for instance, we have a percussion festival on November 9th that I oversee, and part of that is to um, help educate students out in the community and inspire them by bringing in these world-class guest artists, um, but also to um, hopefully turn them on to CMU as a place that they can come, whether they want to major in music or just continue to be involved by performing and then major in another area. Mm -hmm. So um, for that event, we'll have the Balkan Percussion Duo coming in, um, which is Ksenija. I'm not even going to pronounce her last (laughs) name right now because I'm going to not do it well. But she's from Serbia. And Dimitri Nilo from Belarus. Um, So they'll be in. That'll be exciting. the upcoming event with Evan Mazunik and Conrad Kane um, will be interesting because um, they do a lot with uh, improvisation, not in, necessarily in a jazz uh, perspective. Um, they'll, they'll have electronic instruments. Um, uh, Conrad is a vocalist. And so um, I'm actually not quite sure what to expect. It's going to be... Uh, potentially experimental and genre crossing in terms of that performance. Yeah. And that kind of ties in with our our goal in the department to keep our curriculum moving forward and offering contemporary styles. We now are uh, offering instruction to students on uh, contemporary commercial music instruments, uh, such as guitar, bass, and drum set, and hope to expand those offerings in the future. Mm-hmm. But that's why listeners need to come down and check out these events so they can can see it for themselves and, yeah. and hear it in person. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, speaking about coming down and, and checking out these events, you know, on campus, there's all kinds of uh, you know, departments and business or the STEM fields that have an externally facing orientation for students. They interact with the community a lot. Um, could you describe that a little bit with the music department? How, does, how do music students interact with the community? Um, you know, what would you say the type of students you get have in common? What kind of common ground do music students have? Well, one one interesting thing to note about uh, the music department is that we offer 44 concerts over the course of this performing arts season. Um, And like I say, they're going to be the full range from traditional classical music to jazz to commercial music. Um, There's also a, a, a 
a good tie between not only our incoming students, but our alumni. Um, 18 of the school district 51 music teachers are alumni of CMU, and we're very proud of what they do out in the community. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes full circle when their students come in as music majors and then learn how to educate the future generations. So, um, yeah, that's always kind of a fun tie-in and, and, and to see the alumni and how they feed into the incoming students. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our second guest today is head of the music department, Dr. Darren Kamstra. Um, so along with your role as department head um, and as a faculty member, you are also the director of jazz studies and percussion. So I was just curious maybe what drew you to the jazz genre, maybe over other genres, or kind of how that role developed. You know, I probably learned about jazz like most um, young students and that was through jazz band in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about jazz until then, and that, that really piqued my interest, and I, I think that's gone a long way um, throughout the nation and, and really the world now um, since jazz has become a worldwide art form um, to introduce young students to that art form. Um, but I don't place jazz above any other genres mm-hmm. uh, in my mind, and, and I'm always trying to learn more. I just took a uh, course last spring on uh, composing and producing electronic music where we studied uh, electronic dance music styles and composed those, and, and those are things I'm hoping to bring into the curriculum in my advanced music technology class in the future. Nice. Well, uh, you know, I was looking at uh, the fact that you are a percussionist. In fact, I think you're the principal percussionist for for the Grand Junction Symphony. Right. And uh, I'm guessing for baby boomers, when they think about percussion, they think of the drummer for the Who. If you're a Gen (laughs) Xer, maybe it's Uh the drummer for Def Leppard. And if you don't know what percussion is, it's a lot more than um, your drumming. Tell us about what what does it mean to be a percussionist? Uh, You know, the great thing that I like so much about percussion is that it's not just one instrument and it's not just one genre or style of music. Um, and that's something I try to convey and teach to my students that, you know, they may come in with a, a style or a particular instrument that they're drawn to, but to uh, really be marketable in the future, um, they're going to have to have a diverse set of skill sets, whether it's playing timpani in the orchestra like I do, or any of the other percussion instruments of the percussion section orchestrally, or playing solo marimba. Um, where we have a five-octave range and we can play melodies and harmonies just like a piano as a soloist, or drum set where you just have this multitude of styles, um, all of which you know, go back to a, a universal technique, but having a particular oral picture of what those styles are supposed to sound like and what are the patterns. Um, that's what makes it exciting for me is that diverse skill set, and it keeps things interesting and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our second guest today is Dr. Darren Kamstra, who's the head of the music department. Um, so, you know, one thing I think I found really interesting as I've worked at the university for longer and longer is when you're on the outside, you know, you see all of our faculty members and you think their primary role is teaching and they're in the classroom, which luckily for CMU, our focus is on having teachers in the classroom working with our students one-on-one, but our faculty do so much else outside of the classroom. Um, you know, you were talking about that you play both in the 
Grand Junction Symphony Orchestra. I believe you also perform with the um, Rockestra. And then on top of that, you are also an active composer. I was hoping you could maybe talk a little bit about your process for that and maybe some of your published works um, that our listeners could hear. Yeah, I, I love composing when I have the time. And so <laughs> the, the thing that really gets me going compositionally is to have a specific uh, end product or somebody who commissions me to write something that they have in mind. Uh, that gives me a lot of inspiration. Uh, or an upcoming music performance that I have a, an idea of a type of piece that would work well. Uh, most of my published music is in the percussion realm, some percussion solos. Probably my favorite one is called Bateria. Bateria is uh, Portuguese for battery, which means uh, percussion instruments that you would find in a Escola de Samba, which is a large collection of percussion instruments marching down the streets of uh, Rio de Janeiro or any other Brazilian city you can imagine around Carnival. And so it's inspired by those uh, styles and instruments, but then applied to a Western classical instrument, which is the timpani. So it's kind of an interesting cross-cultural uh, exploration there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Kamster, I've got a, a two-part question for you. Uh, you mentioned that within the world of percussion, there's many, many instruments. And if you had to pick one, what is your favorite instrument? And then the second part of the question is, for those listeners who are into classic rock, does the cowbell have a future <laughs> in the future of rock? Uh, oh, yeah. The cowbell is in- indispensable. Absolutely. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's good. Boy, that's a tough question. Uh, that's like asking who your favorite child is. We all know um, that parents have one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Um, you know, I, it, it's changed over the years. Um, and, you know, first I would say it was timpani early on, and I still love playing timpani. Um, and then it was probably marimba because of that ability to perform as a soloist um, harmonically and melodically on par with other instruments like guitar or piano. Um, I guess now I'd say it's drum set and jazz vibraphone, kind of half-half. I did a sabbatical project two years ago where I focused on jazz vibraphone and studied with a master performer up in Seattle, Tom Collier, and was able to really develop my skill set there. So I love performing those as well. Nice. Well, before we let you go for today, um, I believe that you recently held a workshop here at the KFM studio. So I was hoping you could maybe talk to us a little bit about that partnership or how that event worked out. Yeah, we have every summer uh, the Jazztopia Jazz Workshop, which is another outreach for um, high school and middle school students um, throughout the Grand Valley and beyond. And it's a four-day workshop that we hold uh, on the campus at CMU. And one of the cool events we had this year was we brought all the student combos down to the KAFM radio room downstairs, and it turned out to be a great performance venue, felt very much like a jazz club in a big city, Mm -hmm. and so I think that was really the highlight of the week for both the faculty and the students. Great. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come down and chat with us and let the KAFM listeners know a little bit more about what's going on in the music department. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, this segment airs on the second Tuesday of each month on KAFM Community Radio. You can also listen to podcasts of today's show at kafmradio.org. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host, David Ludlam, and we'll be back next month for another edition of CMU Now on the Community Affairs Hour.